Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And today is... Fun with poop day. (laughs) (laughs) And I've just finished my my project. You know, when when you're on the road, that poop builds up. And we empty our poop tank about once every week. Do people need to know this? Well, I think if they're RVers, they do. (laughs) Don't you think? Everybody has their own personal habits. Well, but the tank fills up, and you have to go out and empty it. And it's not just a matter of emptying it. You know, you don't leave that old black tank just uh, drain out all the time because the lumps don't drain. So we have the let's empty the poop tank once a week, and I put in fresh Happy Camper. What's Happy Camper? It sort of breaks down the poop and makes it I'm into a amazed. slurry. <laughs> Would that be a good word for it? Yes. So that fun with poop day is not <laughs> too much. Traumatic. Traumatic, yes. Uh, and I'm amazed how well it works. Um, and it works whether we're moving or whether we're stationary because you don't want to have lumps coming out. And, as and most you of, want everything to come out. Yes, indeed. And that takes a few flushes, which is why fun with poop is uh, more than just pulling the veil. And, and letting things flow out. I mean, it seems uh, like it takes you about half an hour to do. Oh, well, at least. Yeah. Well, yes, and when you have to recharge the toilet and stuff, because I want most of the poop to come out and most of the toilet paper, which is comes out. We don't use RV toilet paper. We, we use, found we don't need to. And we it's, use septic. It's, it's um like using spider webs. <laughs> So I prefer something of a little more durable quality. Yes, and we have um, the water macerator, which I think I've mentioned in the past. But one of the nice things is is that on most situations, we only have a one-inch hose that goes out from the RV to the septic, to the sewer. That's much easier to mess around with, especially in cold weather. And most of the time, we don't have poop going through it, so it, the water just flows out. Now, when you're ready to do, uh, ha- when you're ready for the big day, fun with poop day, <laughs> then you have to hook up a hose, and the device has a nozzle which uh, sprays the water at high high pressure water across the inlet to the hose and it breaks up all the lumps as they go down the drain. We've been using this now a couple of years and I'm very impressed with how nicely it works. There's no smell, there's no mess, there's no leak. So you really only use that typical sewer hose when we go to a dump station. Right. We don't use the big slinky. We, have, we, of course, have the big slinky with us, but we only use that when we need to quickly dump. And at a dump station where there might be people waiting in line or something, we then use the standard three-inch hose that everybody is familiar with. But that hose can get to be kind of a pain in the neck sometimes, and so we rarely have to use it because uh, once a week we're at a, at a full hookup site and we just open the valve and use the water jet to break up the stuff and it goes down. Now, I will admit that it does take a little bit of extra time because the three-inch or four-inch hose, the slinky will discharge much more stuff more quickly. But So there's nothing better than enjoying a fine <laughs> dining experience <laughs> Dining <laughs> while you're waiting for the fun with poop to finish. That's right. We did dine. We had lunch, didn't we? Yes. But was there any smell that interrupted your... Not at all. Not at all. And my hands are clean. They weren't uh, dripping with poop. And just so that you know that I'm not really... Uh, observing all well I am observing it but I have a clear plastic elbow to make sure things are happening to make sure to watch what's coming out so that I know how many times to do the rinse so basically what I do is (laughs) I've learned that when you are doing the rinse basically you fill the tank with fresh water because there's a a rinse uh, input and you have to be careful not to be distracted while that happens because you could overfill it and yes. back up into the rig? 
And wh- and back up where? Into the rig. No. In the shower. I think that's no, the no, 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 no. That's the gray. Oh, back into the toilet. No, the toilet's sealed. Then where would it come? <laughs> This is the fun oh, part. Out the, out the roof. Out right? the roof. Right. That's right. The exhaust pipe. So you'd have a brown fountain. Oh, that would be embarrassing. Embarrassing. That would stink, and it would be up on the roof, and you'd be up there. Now, oh. now this, this refined process that you have described so, so here. Let me, let me tell you how we fix this before you answer, ask your question. So I bought a hose timer. So that I can set that I want the fill valve to run for 15 minutes while it fills the tank. And then it automatically shuts off no matter what I'm doing. Oh, cool. So that it shuts off the water so that it can't overfill as long as it isn't too much time. Now your question. So this refined process that you have just finished describing. <laughs> after years of, of having fun with poop days. Does it pertain to other people with other kinds of rigs and setups? Oh, okay, Absolutely. It's, it's universal. Everybody has has their uh, fun with poop days. Because I'm remembering you, we used, you used to have to stick a hose down the toilet. We're not well, if you don't have if you don't have a black tank rinse, then you, you have to do something I'm else. Talking. But the same, this would work the same way. You you could get one of those things, stick it down the toilet, and then uh, it it would have a sprayer head on it that would spray around and loosen up the reluctant poop, and then. You'd empty it the, the standard way. I think, well, most rigs, if you have a black tank flush, this is the way to do it. And, of course, if you're using a sprayer down the toilet, it is going to come out the toilet if you overfill. But well, the reason why we do it once a week is because we don't want it. We want this that flush of whoosh. And, by the way, this way I also don't have to use uh, gray water to flush out the hose or anything because I'm doing that constantly with the fresh water uh, with the high pressure. This is, so the nice thing about this is, is that there are no mechanical parts. Macerators, which are these grinder-uppers that are electric, uh, cause constant problems. And probably some of you will contradict this, but overall, this works as well as any macerator that I've seen. And it's totally non-mechanical, doesn't have any moving parts, doesn't use electricity, and uh, is a very simple mechanism. And is priced that way. You can buy it off of Amazon for less than $100 for the gizmo. And all you use is hook up a hose. So we've just spent almost <laughs> eight minutes talking about fun with poop, and well, I'm wondering this, uh, if anybody is left who's still listening to this podcast. <laughs> That's not the way to start off a podcast? Well, that wasn't how I was going to start off this podcast. Okay, we'll start off again. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator, and we are sitting here on a beautiful day east of the Sierras in the Owens in River Valley in California, a place that we have come to really appreciate. We have never, ever been to this part of California or on the west side of, of uh, Death Valley. And, and I'm getting the feeling that we must be the only people who have never heard of this because it is a camping mecca. Yeah. Most of the people who camp here do not camp in um, large motorhomes as we do, although you certainly can. It was no trouble to find a place to be. There are a million tiny little national forest campgrounds all up and down the valleys, all up and down the mountains. Uh, it looks to me like you could find a, a wonderful place to camp no matter what time of year you come here because the elevation changes mean that you have a wide choice of temperature ranges depending on what's comfortable at that moment. And it took us a while to notice that many of the towns in the valley have uh, places to dump, places to take on fresh water, places to take a hot shower. So they really cater to camping, especially tent campers and smaller rig campers that um, can enjoy all of the nature and out-of-door experiences that there are here on the less populated part of California. And this is, uh, as she says, it's been definitely below our radar, and we don't know why. Well, I guess it... Because we're from too far east? Is it world-class? Yes. Oh, I think so. Yes, I think you're. I, I agree. Think so. This is a cool place because it has a valley and mountains on both sides. 
and it's a wide valley. It's like 10 miles wide so that you can drive down the middle and you feel like you're on the plains, but on both sides are mountains with snow and passes. And one of the things we've done is we've driven into the east side of Yosemite, for instance. Which is what brought us here in the first place, was we right. wanted to visit Yosemite. But to me, I I love Yosemite. I was glad to be there, yes. but it was kind of like a minor point in terms of everything we've seen. Well, especially here. after we drove the 50 miles through the mountains to get there from the east, east side, side, from the eastern Sierras. So the road that we were, have been driving up and down for the last two, three weeks has been 395. And 395 is a very nice, wide, four-lane divided highway uh, without limited access. So there are lots of uh, driveways and things off of it. But it's a very nice road, very easy for RVers. And then you kind of veer off that to go to various uh, attractions. And we found some fabulous things to do. Every town has a road that goes into the mountains. And we know you can take it from the Reno-Tahoe area to the L.A. suburbs, and I should look at a map to see if, you, if it goes north of Reno yeah. as well. Um, the, it's one of those roads you should do. Um, scenically beautiful, um, lots to do, um, RV-friendly. Put it on the list. Put it on the list. And so we, we've been to Yosemite from here. We did Mono Lake. Which, Mono Lake. Oh, yes, sorry. Say it, it is M-O-N-O. But it's I know Indian. it's the Indian pronunciation. So, <coughs> so we did Mono Lake, which is a photographer's paradise. I got. Oh, can you believe you even this? got up before sunrise <laughs> to go take pictures of the rock formations at Mono Lake. Uh, so that was a fabulous thing. And then the drives into the mountains, you go up into the hills, and you. The, and uh, one of the other things that surprised us is that we have uh, hit fall colors, and that this area like New England, is very, very very colorful in the fall. But because most of this area is desert, um, <laughs> the trees that you see that have these beautiful colors have been planted there by somebody and tended by somebody or have happened to land where there is some flowing water, which isn't in too many places. I wonder how people around here feel about the fact that most of the water that they have here <laughs> um, goes service. in a big ditch down to L.A. And, and they lose it all. I, I wonder what this place would look like if... It's 275 miles to L.A. from here. So it's definitely big, within it's within ditch. an area that uh, L.A. F- folks could, could visit here on a weekend. And for Midwesterners and Easterners like us, uh, we find this to be a very attractive area. And at this time of year, it's just not that busy. And it is such a large area that I would think that it would be hard to be busy anytime. And even though 395 could get busy because it's a four-lane divided highway. Coming from it, two major, coming from Reno on the north and L.A. on the south. Yeah, it, keep, it would keep going, I think, even if it was busy. Right. Busier than it yes, is Yes, I, I can't imagine really too many traffic jams out here. And the towns are nice, and uh, there's just uh, so many uh, outdoor activity things to do, including something that one of our podcast listeners put us on to. And that was the Alabama Hills. Alabama Hills? Where is that? look nothing like Alabama. <laughs> the and, state. And are named after the good ship <laughs> Alabama that destroyed the, the, a lot of the battleship, yeah. Union ships during the Civil War. And there were miners working here who had Confederate sympathies, and they named this spectacularly beautiful spot the Alabama Hills. And uh, about... 60, 70 years after the miners did this, this area was discovered by Hollywood. And if you have ever seen a Western, you've probably seen the Alabama Hills in the background. 400 Westerns have been filmed here, as and Westerns as well as other types of movies like Iron Man and uh, some sci-fi movies. And, and car things. commercials. Car commercials, all sorts of things have been filmed here in the Alabama Hills. One reason, of course, this is because it's very close to Hollywood. And Two, because it is extremely scenic. Uh, the area is not all that big, but the Alabama hills are rounded rocks with big rocks. I mean, house-sized rocks with mountains in the background. It's just, you just go, 
Oh, wow. I've seen this on the movies, and oh, wow, it is spectacular. So the rounded rocks are kind of a sandstony color, but the backdrop that the Sierra uh-huh. Nevada Mountains provides are more of a gray color, a granite color. Uh, there's some flux of snow in them this time of year. And you could tell that no matter which way um, a director pointed his camera, right. he could get different kinds of scenery without having to move um, his production crew very far. And, and it's could- easy to see why they and you could stage ambushes and because the rocks are big enough that, that people can hide, hide behind them, them and, and shoot know, the India and you can have the box canyon but it's not really a box canyon and the cool part about it too is, is that it's very near to civilization <laughs> so the movies could have uh, all the amenities that they needed to make the movies and in the town of Lone Pine, which is the um, base that the Hollywood directors worked from, there is a Western film museum yes. where we saw about a 20-minute film reel of <laughs> little clips from, from many of these films. And it just knocked my socks off to see how, now that I was in the Alabama Hills, I could recognize yeah, where these easy. movies had been made. It, it's really a fabulous place. And for RVers, even more so yes. because it's a place where you can go and boondock. And boondock near civilization. So boondocking frequently means that you have to drive, you know, 50 miles out into the desert or someplace. But here you can go in one of the most scenic boondocking places I can imagine, uh, as long as you don't want trees. (laughs) They have places that you could just camp. I mean, it's just wild camping. You just pick a spot and... There, we could have easily taken our motorhome. Had we known about what this was about, we probably would have taken our motorhome and camped there for a few days, because it's 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 the 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 road is um, dusty, dusty, and it is uh, a gravel, but it's not. It's wide, and there are you no sharp turns. There's you no, wouldn't be afraid of getting stuck. I don't know. Does if it rained, maybe it would possibly, turn muddy. But, but it's hard to imagine rain here. Right. So since our last podcast, the episode that we made, we were we were in Mount Washington. Saint, we had just visited Mount St. Helens. And the day we made the podcast, it was raining. And that was a month ago, and, and that, that was, was a- the last rain we've seen. <laughs> not that anybody's complaining. No, not that any- And so since then, it has been uh, warm and sunny virtually every day. Uh, which, including today, which it's about 85 degrees, and uh, that dry, warm, and it gets nice and cool at night, so we haven't really had to run the air conditioners or anything, and it's been very pleasant. So fall is a very good time to RV out here. But we haven't had just to think about the weather and think about the elevation. I think we talked about that last time. We've also had to pay attention to the forest fires, which ah. um, everybody knows were especially terrible in more populous parts of uh-huh. California this year. And we did suffer from smoke in some places. Um, when we went to Crater Lake in Oregon, we realized that the fires there had recently been put out. Right. And most everybody, like the boat service that they usually have on the lake, they had to shut it down for the summer and it wasn't worth getting started again uh, so it didn't impact us much personally but it was definitely something else to think about as we planned our itinerary and as we're finding uh, the later and later it goes on in the fall the more and more stuff is closed and I guess they don't know about when the snow is coming or when the weather's going to turn bad but we've had such good weather and we've been surprised on a number of occasions when a visitor said just today we were going to go someplace and it was closed so it's it's uh, uh, crapshoot whether you go in the fall and how late in the fall you go. It seems like the official deadline for a lot of things to close is on November 1st, the day the podcast comes out. Um, but it looks like this year that would be too early. Um, and if you are going to camp out here late in the fall, um, I would try to investigate whether the campground you want to go to is still open, especially the National Forest ones. It looks to me kind of Yeah, we've been driving around and looking at the National Forest campground and some of them, by the way, we can get in with our rig, and some of them we couldn't. But uh, some of them have gates across them already, and they were closed on the 1st of October. And some of them, in the high levels, you can understand that, but in the low levels, you can't understand it. And I don't know whether it's Weather whether they're well, or, or, budget. Oh, budget or whether they're privately run National Forest Service or mm-hmm. uh, parks, but uh, it's uh, been an interesting experience, but we have had really no trouble in finding. We've only had one campground that turned us away because they were too busy, and that was in Weed. Oh, yeah. Weed, California. But it was only a campground of what? 
15 sites. No big deal. But we have stayed in some very nice campgrounds overall. And it looks like we'll be staying in some nice ones coming up. Uh, Even with a rig as big as ours, we've been able to stay at uh, a couple of national parks. We've been staying at county parks. Right now we're at a fairground. Uh, And fairgrounds are a pretty nice choice if you're not interested in extra amenities. This fairground that we're staying at in Bishop, California, which is in the Owens River Valley, uh, which we just mentioned, is uh, nicely centrally located, um, has full hookups, 50 amp, uh, but, you know, no swimming pool or other types of amenities that kids might want. But for the reasonable price that they charge uh, that's something that we definitely take a look at and while we've been here we've been doing a lot of running around all day yes um leaving right after breakfast and barely getting it home and before it gets dark and Which happens early when you're in that kind of a lifestyle a beautiful campground it's always nice to be in a beautiful campground but it, it's hardly necessary because i hardly notice it we come in we close the door we put down the shades and right. we, we could be anywhere yeah and that's that's the our particular style of uh, camping is is working that way. As long as we have a satellite connection, we're okay. And we've been very happily once again with the Mobley. I hate to say I hate to talk excitedly about the because no one can get it anymore. Yeah, you can get it, but it's ninety dollars a month for the unlimited service now. Ooh. And I hope that those of you who have AT and T did get a chance to add a hotspot to your service because you could add an unlimited hotspot for only $20 a month until uh, October 27th. But this field is changing big time. But the Mobley for us has been a game changer because we've been actually been able to do streaming and and what and Internet like we ordinarily do. We, I have rarely been able to update my computer or download apps and download podcasts and things, except when we're at a campground with a decent service. And here with the Mobley, we've been able to do all of that just uh, regularly. And I've been surprised that in places that we didn't get any radio, we didn't get any TV over the air, the Mobley was chugging away and we would get good service. And I'm thinking particularly of Lassen. We were in the trees and... We were in a campground where we were the only only people (laughs) in the campground. And we were parked under trees, which we don't like because of the satellite dish. And And the sap. And we couldn't get any news or anything. And I knew that there were a lot of forest fires kind of around. And I thought, geez, in the middle of the night, this whole campground could burn down. No one knows we're here. No one would tell us. Leave it to the navigator to think of such things. But we lived through it. We lived through it, ladies and gentlemen. We're tough. But the Mobley performed very well there. I mean, having multiple megabyte, megabit per second uh, service. And I found that uh, we also have the Wilson LTE booster. And I found that even though the Mobley would connect uh, at uh, very few bars, that plugging in the Wilson and letting the Mobley get its signal through the Wilson after being amplified, because we have an antenna on the roof, that it would increase the speed of the Mobley by two or three times. So even if it connected, um, it might be connecting at a fairly modest speed by turning on the Wilson, it would connect at a much higher speed. So the Wilson has been a definite benefit too in having the antenna on the roof. The Mobley has a very minimal antenna and if you buy a real hot spot it will have uh, MIMO antennas hooked up so you can hook up a couple of antennas to it and really make it hum. I've been impressed. Um, Occasionally you've been able to play here uh things that you recorded at home oh yeah um and play them over the wi-fi that's been amazing yes we have a device at home which you might want to consider especially if you can do streaming um and that is the tableau i talked quite a few times about my simple tv simple tv unfortunately went out of business so I replaced it with a similar device called a Tableau, T-A-B-L-O.com. And the Tableau sits at home on my network. It's just a box. I hook a standard over-the-air OTA and TV antenna to it. And with a web page, I tune in the channels. And then it sends the recordings or live TV out over the Internet um, through their app, 
which is very cool, so that I can record and watch things from Chicago here, which we've never been able to do much before because we didn't have the bandwidth. But now that we have a decent amount of bandwidth, we can easily do this. And we've been watching the news and watching other things that are Chicago-related, and it's been great. And if you have an interest, this this box is um, $100 or so, and really no ongoing expenses, you just hook it up and the, and it doesn't uh, there's nothing in your house that you know there's no extra TV just this little box that's about six inches square with an antenna and an Ethernet port on it and you then can watch TV now this is cool because you can watch TV at home so you can watch over the air TV on your iPads and phones and things in your house where's this stuff recorded <laughs> In the ether. No, it has a hard drive hooked up to it. We didn't say that. So it has two choices. One is that you can have live TV and you can tune the channels on your on your device. So from home here or from here or at home, uh, you can walk around and use your house Wi-Fi and watch local TV in your house on any device. Well, that, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So if you're sitting in the bedroom on your computer, you can tune in TV and put it in a little window so that you can have that uh, running. Now, if you want to record stuff, you can plug in a USB hard drive of any size that you want, and you can then record and play back. So I've been watching the Bears games. Uh, I sh- probably shouldn't admit that. Why? <laughs> Because the Bears are so good. Oh, well, you are from Chicago. <laughs> so I watched the Bears games, but you could, which are for obvious reasons not uh, displayed. They're not uh, broadcast. No one in California cares. No one in Cal- because we do get the feeds from California and New York on our satellite, but uh, none of those stations seem to do the Bears, even though they beat the Panthers last week. So I don't get Charlotte. Anyway. That's a device you just might want to consider, and you can go to Tableau.com and take a look at it. So can we talk about something that's not technology? You bet. We need to talk about national parks. As you can tell, visiting national parks has been kind of a theme for us on this part of our trip, and we are headed both to parks we have seen in the early 70s and to parks that we have never been to in our lives. Um, Hopefully next month we can give you an enthusiastic review of Great Basin National Park in Nevada. That's where we're going next. And certainly national parks have been in the news lately because there was just a big article about um, a massive fee hike for the most popular national parks to... Now, would I rather go to Disney or a national park? to support uh, infrastructure needs in those parks. And this led us to uh, a long discussion between ourselves about what the philosophy of national parks really is. Having visited some of the more popular ones like Yosemite lately, we sure do recognize the need for infrastructure and how frustrating it can be when you can't find a place to park in a park. Uh, There aren't enough places to stay. You have to stand in long lines when you want to buy something to eat. Very frustrating. But on the other hand, when you go to a national park, you want to have kind of a pristine nature type experience. And how do you provide that for people and serve their their needs? So as a little bit of background, uh, it currently costs $20 per car for a week. To be admitted to a national park. That fee is going up to $70. For some national parks. For the, 70, ones, for the, the ones mo- you've heard you, of. Yeah, for the ones you've heard of. It's going up to, to $70. Now, us with our geezer pass, we get in for free, which is even better. And that the price of the geezer pass has gone up too, but it's still a deal. It's still a deal. Now, my question is, do we use the fees to keep the numbers down? Or are the national parks a national treasure that everybody should have access to, regardless of your economic status? Which was kind of the philosophy under which they were created, I think. Yeah. Um, And another way to not have so many people is to limit the amount of people that can come in. So you have to have a reservation to go into the national park? Which also goes counter to that, that philosophy. And I have to say that... Even in late fall, almost November, in Yosemite National Park, which we went to on a very nice day, but it was crowded. I was surprised. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was it was busy, to say the least. And most of the voices that we heard in Yosemite were not speaking English, which which is another dynamic. We are proud of our national parks. We're glad that people all over the world want to see them, and we can understand why they want to. Um, should those people be limited if you're an America firster? I don't know. It's Or should we try to compete with Disney and make it 100 bucks a person? To me, it's a totally different experience to go to a national park or to go to Disney World. I bet you they're just about as popular. Yeah, but they meet different needs, and we like them both. No question about it, but yeah. but I don't know, you know, is there competition, the Disney parks, or should they just be standalone, you know, we do it our own thing and not worry about the competition? And those of you who are young, who are listening to us, would a price change of that magnitude from $20 yeah. to $70 a week make a difference for, to you? For a car full. Yeah, would that make a difference to you whether you would decide to come or not? And understanding that that's going back into the parks to make them better. And we have there were numerous infrastructure improvements being done in the park. That are needed. That are needed in all the parks. And frankly, I thought they were in pretty good shape from what we saw. But a lot of that stuff's old. So the national parks that we have visited so far, we started in the north. We talked last time about Rainier and Mount St. Helens, which is not a national park, but still a worthwhile place to visit. And then we spent uh, a couple of days in uh, the Portland area. And then from there we went to some place we've been waiting to go to for a long time, and that's Crater Lake. That was before Portland, but that's okay. Well, before we went to Portland, we went to Crater Lake. <laughs> One of the things I'm finding is is that these parks are not as big. I think I mentioned this last month, even with uh, they're Rocky not as big Man, as they used to they're be. They're not as big as they used to be. <laughs> <laughs> and that many of them, unless you do a lot of hiking or something, you can see in basically one day. And like in Crater Lake, uh, we drove all around it, and we we did spend two days, but we, we didn't, didn't need, need to. to, right? And that's another thing that I'm thinking about in my memory when we went to national parks in the good old days. <laughs> Um, there were many more ranger-led hikes. I remember learning so much from these science-educated people. And now you know it all. Um, and maybe that's As because... As you tell your husband. Maybe because it was during the summertime, and a lot of these people yes. are educators and have gone back to their teaching jobs. Many of the temporary rangers. Um, but I'm thinking we don't seem to have the money to pay those kind of people as we used to, and that would also be a shame. Well, now we saw a school group at uh, Crater Lake that was there, and they had a ranger with them, and they were learning things, and they went into it and saw a movie. And it was a special well, but, and, not, and you have to understand that's one of the limitations of going after September. Right. I think a lot of these parks they. As you mentioned, the people that work there are seasonal, and the season ends probably at the end of September. So I don't think we can make accurate judgments. And certainly if we had taken the time to do more hiking, you could spend a lot of time, even in the smaller national Oh, parks. yes, yes, yes. We There's no question about the outdoor activity. Give a misimpression there. No, so we did Crater Lake. We did see evidence of fire because Crater Lake was closed for the north end was the north closed. End was yeah, closed. Yeah. We came in from the south. And once again, we were able to camp there very close to the entrance and uh, found it a, a good experience. And then we went to uh, the Lake Shasta area. The Mount Shasta was what made us stop. Um, again, I was thinking about all the water from that neck of the woods that's being drained into <laughs> Southern California. If I was a Northern Californian, I'd be really annoyed, but... I live near Lake Michigan where and why there's did plenty I want of water. To go to, why did I want to go to Shasta? I have no idea. Because I used to drink Shasta Cola. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> That's the only reason I knew about Shasta. <laughs> okay. Back in my college days, they used... Who was it that sold Shasta? They had a whole line of... Oh, Eagle. No. It was, yeah, it might have been Eagle. Eagle grocery store, yeah. It had Shasta Colas and Shasta soft drinks and... I never knew where Shasta was, and now I've actually been to Mount Shasta. Uh, Once again, a nice experience. A fantasy fulfilled. From there we went to uh, Lassen National Park, which when we went there in the 70s, I had never heard of it, and it has changed a lot. The primary purpose of that park is to commemorate, honor, preserve all of the land that has been decimated by the eruption of a volcano there in the early 1900s, and in my memory when we went there the first time you could really see a lot of lava flow and cinder evidence of, of, yes, of eruption evidence, right. and in the intervening 40 years which I must Something admit has happened. is a long Some time trees have grown. 
Um, yeah, a lot of it is covered over by vegetation. So it's still a pretty park, but it it didn't fill me with awe as it did the yes, first time. Yes, you, you the other know. thing that was amazing to us about Lassen was we took a hike down to um, Bumpus Hell, which was a hot springs geyser area, and we read that this path had not opened until mid-August because it had been socked in by snow no. all summer. I was impressed with the thermal areas there. Yeah, though they were nice. But not nearly as good as Yellowstone. No. Spent about a week in Reno, which was a town that we hadn't been to in a long, long time, and we went to Lake Tahoe. Beautiful. Did a, did a nice cruise on the lake and didn't do any gambling, but... Uh, we went down to their river walk, and we did the automobile museum and Very all the things that you, can, that you can do in Reno. So that that's a, a nice urban experience, and we kind of recharged our batteries there because we'd been spent a lot of time in the trees. <sighs> our our limitation of three hundred miles and three o'clock was actually extended because we we were leaving at 10 and getting there at noon. <laughs> what a shame. But uh, we would only stay for a couple of days and, you know, doing a lot of car driving because that's our, our style is to kind of do the hub and spoke thing. So we camp for three or four days in a place and then take the car and drive out 50 or 60 miles on in each direction and then see what's what's available which kind of brings us to the whole topic of travel planning this trip i would say was one of our least planned trips we had vague notions of national parks we wanted to visit and where they were and and i made a list and mapped it out at home and saw that they were all a one day's drive apart from each other more or less depending on how you define a day but even so, um, people struggle with trip planning. What to see, how much time to spend, what route to take, how much money is it going to cost me. Uh, and people rely more and more on apps these days to um, help them with that planning. So uh, we're going to link to an article where the Geeks on Tour, is that their name, have listed their travel philosophy. They have issues we don't have because they give presentations all over the United States and they have to make plans to be at them at the right time and have fun in between. And so uh, they list a lot of the strategies that they use and the things that they do to make the planning flow and to have enough time to do everything that they want to do. And there's no one app that does it all because you need a GPS app and then you need a campgrounds, campground app. And I use Allstays, which I found does multiple things very well <clears throat> and allows you to find campgrounds because it shows them on the map exactly where they are which is very nice and then you can press a button and it'll route you there which is also very nice in google in google maps so you need multiple apps and then you need probably one to plan out your trip from home if that's the kind of thing you're going to do well people who have a limited amount of time yeah, yeah. and have you to get are, back yeah, and go to, to work spend. you have to make sure you get back in time to go to work yes exactly and this trip for us has been unplanned and uh, as we mentioned we came down here uh, into the owens river valley and we were it was was more or less unexpected we never if you'd asked us when we were home if we were going to go to mount shasta or to the owens river valley we would say no, but here we are, and we are having a good time doing it. And even today, uh, we had originally planned to leave this area and drive back into Nevada, <laughs> right. and we decided to stay here for one more day. Right. Did we know we were going to the Great Basin National Park? No, we saw it on the map. We saw it on the map and said, hey, a national park, let's go. And that's this, the advantage of being retired. But And this does mean that we spend an inordinate amount of time during the trip reading and planning, which mm. I would normally have done from home, I guess. Yeah. But Overall, I like doing it this way because there's so many places like the Alabama Hills that we had never even heard of while we were still at home, and here we are enjoying them. I read an article in one of the magazines about a couple who has gone around and visited all of the National Forest Service campgrounds. And a lot of you probably are interested in going to these, and we have certainly seen our uh, hundreds of them in this area. But you don't know which one to go to. They have gone around, and they have a free website and, and, a, and a book that uh, will help you choose National Forest Service campgrounds. The website is forestcamping.com. They've done this for free, and the, but they've done it in conjunction with the National Forest Service. And it's a great resource to find out what can, what facilities the campgrounds offer because we've been kind of surprised at uh, 
we were just at one today where they didn't have any potable water. And, and it did not hold any RVs. Yes, it was all tent camping. And you could do that as long as you knew ahead of time that you needed to bring all the water that you were going to use. Yeah, but that would be... But you would need to know that. You need to know that. And so some of them have toilets, some of them have potable, uh, potable water, some of them don't have anything. And, of course, if you're going to go out and boondock, that's that's a whole different situation. So, of course, we will put this link on our website. And, by the way, I want to let you know that... Uh, I put up on the website uh, every month links to all sorts of articles that we don't get a chance to talk about that you might be interested in. Uh, things about the industry, things about well, just tips and tricks that I find out that why, Te- should, I, why Te- should I read the article to you when you can just go to the website. And technology, perhaps. Technology, perhaps. Just a little bit of technology. Please uh, take a minute and go to the website and uh, click on those links so that you can be up to date in the RV world. While we've been talking about this part of our itinerary, we might mention that the end of our itinerary before the holidays will find us in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. And we've seen Vegas. that some people are now afraid to go to Las Vegas because of the... Are you afraid? No. Um, but there have been murders. There was the largest mass shooting ever in Las yeah, Vegas. Yeah, sure was. And it was a horrifying thing to see. It has nothing to do with that town. No. Or what's going to happen to us there. I agree. You cannot let those things interrupt your plans. They happen. They can happen anywhere. It could happen in your town. It could happen in our town. Because the last few months in our country, there have been a lot of natural and unnatural disasters. (laughs) Um, An article caught my eye that was originally on the USA Today about things to have on hand for natural disasters. Whether it's a fire. And even though it was designed for people who are going to be in their stick-built house when this disaster occurs, it struck me that many of them would be equally useful to people who are living the mobile lifestyle as we are. Uh, Some of the ones they list are a waterproof um, solar battery. Uh, We we own them for our suitcase trips. Yeah, but no, I have mine here. Uh Mine's in my pack. Mm. A fiber... Fix Repair Wrap, which is an extra strong duct tape Really, uh, that can put stuff back together if you need to do that before you can get a more permanent fix, fix to those things. A bottle where you can take dirty water and make it yeah, clean. I, we I believe this um, amazed our beloved president when he saw one in Puerto Rico oh, when yes. he went there for his post-hurricane really visit. Uh, various solar devices. Uh, a, a fire starter. A fire starter, a thingy to break open your car but, window if, yeah. if there's a flood and you're trapped trapped inside. Uh, so we'll put up the link to these useful gizmos. They are not particularly high-tech necessarily, but good to have on And, and speaking of the disasters, the fires out here have been something we have watched. And they went right through the area where we drove two years ago, uh, the Santa Rosa area. And we were at the Charles Schultz house just two years ago, and now it's gone. And I listened to a podcast where the podcaster, although it's about photography, the podcaster was affected by this, and they had to leave their house literally in the middle of the night and couldn't take anything. Well, they could take things with them, but they didn't have time to collect them. Or think about it. Or even think about it. They got a call at 1.30 a.m. from a family member who said, the fire's outside your house, you better get out. And they did, and they got out with the clothes on their back. I, it's, it's really hard for me to understand how a fire could be that close, and you wouldn't know it. But apparently from well, watching, people were the, sleeping. watching the news that this is exactly what happened. And that's why having a pack with kind of all of these, some of these supplies in it is extra critical. And... Uh, I want to talk just for a minute about maybe backing up your computer, whether you're on the road or whether you're at home, because a lot of us have <laughs> most of our lives on our computer. Uh, our podcaster that I mentioned did get out with his, his cell phone, uh, but not much else. His house fortunately did not burn, but his brother-in-law's house burned to the ground, and they were in the same situation. They had to get out literally with the clothes on their back, and couldn't and didn't have time to take anything else because the fire was that close. And he lost his computer, his his house, which of course included his computers, and 
he was devastated, as as we saw so tragically on the news, when people were going through the ashes and just, you know, not finding anything. And and he was distraught uh, from a computer perspective because all of his pictures were on his computer, and he had backed it up, but you know, <laughs> everything had burned up. As I think about that. Uh, I just this morning have had, I keep a separate hard drive in the car with my pictures on it so that I back it up regularly and I have it sitting right here because I just backed up it last night. But if you are not backing up your pictures, then you need to do it. There is a silver lining to this because he was an Apple user and had gone through the process of getting an iCloud account, which Apple kind of almost forces you to do. But upon reflection and getting another computer, which he borrowed from the podcast friend of ours, and he borrowed this computer, he logged on to iTunes, to uh, the cloud, and everything came back to this new computer, just as if it had been on his old computer. He was shocked because he didn't even know he was doing this kind of backup. And it worked. And he was like, this is the only thing I have left from my house. From my old life. My old life is this iCloud backup. If you're not backing up on a regular basis, then be prepared to lose it all. These people lost it all, I mean, just like in a flash. You know, I, the, the, the hurricane people had a week's notice to get things together and to get out. These fire people had no notice. And could that happen to us? Sure. I guess. I don't know. Some catastrophe like that? Your house blows up and the... <laughs> you're yeah, not in it. Have, I don't know. We have gas line every so often where people's houses explode. Yeah, I don't, it's, a, it's a tragedy for sure. But uh, And certainly in RVs we hear about people who whose fridges catch on fire in particular and they lose everything in their RV, yeah. whatever much that is. Which is why I've decided to keep this little backup drive with all of our pictures on it. In the car. <laughs> in the car. Uh-huh. Well, it's, it's, the, only it's, other, a it's the only other... It's the only other thing I can do at the moment uh-huh. and, and keep it uh, keep it up to date. And we back it up. So I have at least three backups of my pictures right now because that's we've taken thousands of pictures already because the weather's been great and the snow has scenery been beautiful has been and the beautiful. scenery has been beautiful. And that's uh, something we, sh- we cannot take for granted because winter is coming. And if you're winterizing... Time is the, the, the time, time is, is of the essence. I'm going to be winterizing <laughs> when mid March. Mid March, because we'll be home back in Illinois in March, and it's too cold in March to to, depend, trust it. to trust it. So I'm going to have to winterize. And winterizing, I was reading an article the other day about winterizing, and the people were debating about whether or not you could put antifreeze in your water heater. Can't you? That's what they were debating. And basically can. the cons- consensus was no. You just empty it. And the reason why you you know that is, is because it has the the water heater bypass. So it, you just empty it. So yes, you just empty it. Don't put any antifreeze in it. Uh-huh. Aha, uh-huh. wrong. What? <laughs> As Ken found out, it just emptying your water heater is not, not enough. enough. You better put some antifreeze in there. Now, the water heater... You broke our water heater? Oh, it blo- I, it, I remember the ice maker was... No, no. The the whole thing busted right open. Was no, that, this that, was in our trailer. Okay. But this was in the early days. Yes, it was drained, but there's a little bit of water in the bottom that doesn't yeah, drain out, and it cracked. Back to me. And it cracked the water heater, so that in the spring, when I turned on the water, it, it flowed all over the trailer, and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you had to replace the whole water heater. Anyway, why is there the water heater bypass? The wheels are spinning. <laughs> What is the water heater bypass? So you don't want to heat the water? So you you don't have to heat water. So you don't want to heat the water. (laughs) Well, remember we had that problem, too. We forgot to unbypass it. and Yeah. And that burned up the electric. Oh, well, we don't want to talk about the things we, the mistakes we've made. But on the side of your water heater will be two valves, which you turn in the opposite direction from where they are now. And that will allow the water in your system to be, to bypass the water heater. And the reason why you do that is because you don't want to put six gallons of antifreeze antifreeze in the water heater just for no purpose at all. I mean, you need to put about maybe a quart in the bottom. And this is true for everybody, no matter what kind of rig they have. 
well, not us because we don't have a water heater, but everybody who has a water heater, certainly. Mm -hmm. And most of the coaches will have the water heater bypass so that when you pump the antifreeze through the system, it will not be first filling up six taking six gallons of antifreeze and filling it up filling up the water heater so you put on the bypass and then you pump the antifreeze through the system and and till the pink stuff comes out of all the valves now some people say they just blow it out uh, I would say it depends a lot on your climate, but if it gets really cold and the water settles, you can't get it all out with blowing it out with air. And that if the water settles someplace, it just takes one little place and it cracks, and then you turn on the water in the spring and the water comes spraying out. So over the to years, me, I- we've lost the sprayer <laughs> for the toilet, the water heater, which I forgot, the ice maker. Uh, Is that it? Probably not. We well, we lost the sprayer for the sink. The kitchen sink. The kitchen too. sink yeah, too. Yeah. Because because the kitchen sink sprayer had a U shaped in the bottom, and I didn't turn on the sprayer before till it got pink. Till it got pink. I didn't turn on the sprayer at all. So you do that, and because this is the season when you're going to be doing this, so you do that, and then put a cup or so of antifreeze in each of the traps to make sure that those don't freeze either. I would, and I would use antifreeze, and if you want to blow it out, it's not that expensive, that, is it? No, not compa- my, compared I mean, to replacing I mean, for this big forty-three uh, foot coach, I put in two or three gallons, which yeah. cost me less than five dollars. Yeah. I mean, so compared it's, to replacing a piece of equipment, yes, exactly. So just do it correctly, and then you won't have to worry about it. And be sure in the spring that you put the water heater back in in this in the loop, so that. You're not heating air and then blowing up your, <laughs> your water heater. Oh, my. The problems that we have. Huh? A much better strategy uh-huh. is just to drive around the country <laughs> yeah, staying right. where it's 72 degrees. And we're going to put a map on page notes where someone has studied our climate and shows us where to go to maintain that 72 degree temperature, which at various times of the year brings you all the way to Alaska. Um, And then you don't have to worry about winterizing because you'll be comfortable all the time. That's a joke we always make that we stay where it's 72 degrees, although it's hard to do. People ask us, don't you need more air conditioners? Don't you need better heating? Don't you need more insulation? Hell no! We just go where it's 70. (laughs) (laughs) Then you don't need the pink stuff at all. A lot of big rigs like this have three air conditioners. We've never needed three. Why? Because we don't go where it's hot. If it's hot, we leave. (laughs) Exactly. We could probably use a bigger uh, or electric uh, heaters or a a fireplace or something like that. Hell no. We just go where it's 70 where we don't need heat. (laughs) Come on. Let's get get with the program here. And right now, it's hot. It's about 80 degrees. So we're leaving tomorrow. (laughs) No problem. A lot of people talk about getting into RVing, and they're newbies. They don't know what to look at. So they go to a show, and they start looking at the floor plans. And the wife says, oh, it has so much counter space, and the inside is beautiful, and it has a fireplace, and it has all of these amenities. Well, those are things you can easily see and things that are important to you in your own home. Exactly. But one of the things that I would strongly emphasize is the infrastructure. What is the running gear going to look like? And one of the reasons why we have a motorhome is is because it's an integrated package. Uh, We know the brakes are strong enough because it's on a chassis that was built with the weight of the coach in mind. If you buy a pickup truck... You have you have to decide what kind of, how big a pickup truck. And people say, well, it says that I can tow this, but one of the questions you would ask is, can it stop that that kind of weight? Ooh. You know, there, there, area, there are lots of factors to be considered. And I was particularly impressed with an article that I read recently. Uh, what are the most important features in a full time fifth wheel trailer? And this article not only is applied to fifth wheels, but I think is actually uh, a, a good primer for anybody looking to get into RVing. He talks about the infrastructure and the things you need to look at as the foundation of your RV, which are just as important as the interior floor plan and the quality of the construction of the cabinets. As a matter of fact, I think in safety-wise, they're probably even more important. And he talks about uh, the first thing we look at is a trailer's cargo-carrying capacity. And... <laughs> 
Uh, one of the big topics on the RV forums these days are the China bombs. Does that make sense to you? That the chassis made in China? No. The tires are made in China. Oh. And that the tire people have problems. They blow out two or three tires. And I they're, read about that a lot. They're made, I just figure they overload their rigs like we, I did. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what they do. It's so easy to do. Because they, they don't realize that their cargo carrying capacity is 800 pounds and they put 600 pounds of water in and so that you know, there are all these issues that you need to that you need to look at before you buy. And cargo carrying capacity is is an important one, and and your pickup truck too. Number two, the foundation. Take a look at the frame, the axles, the tires, and he goes through and shows you what to look at when you're looking at these issues. Does it have leaf springs, which are pretty much bad news? Do you have shock absorbers? Uh, these are critical factors in your satisfaction with your RV. Four season insulation and R factors. One of the things that we have found to be the one of the biggest factors in terms of uh, keeping the RV warm and or cool is... Thermopane windows. Thermopane windows. And windows that are actually airtight. On those very rare occasions when we are somewhere <laughs> that's below 72 degrees, I find myself much warmer and more comfortable in here without a lot of extra heat. Our first three RVs did not have thermopane windows. We didn't understand why they were chilly and drafty and cold. I had a special um, yeah, set you... of clothing that I would put on <laughs> in the evening. You could barely see my I mean, nose. We, we would have the furnace on, and it would be 70 degrees. You know, the furnace would be cycling on at 70 degrees or whatever but temperature we have. But, but it would be drafty, especially near the windows. And our two motorhomes that we've had have both had uh, thermopane windows, and the light bulb went on. So things like that are critical for you to understand. The, the exterior walls, what they're made out of, roof material and maintenance. Hmm. One of the things that I've looked at uh, is that we have a bright tech roof. I was disappointed that we didn't have a fiberglass roof, but now the more I do research, I find the Brake Tech might be actually be better than a fiberglass roof. Why? Our other motorhome had a fiberglass roof. You know, it's solid, but the problem is they weather and oh. they become brittle. Oh. And there have been several people who have had to repair their roofs because they cracked uh, when you walk on it or whatever, whereas the Brake Tech is guaranteed for 20 years. Huh, and because it's just a membrane, it just sits there and it moves a little bit and, and is actually in some ways better than the than the fiberglass. That's not intuitive to me, but apparently it's it's something to consider. Exterior well and the camp and your camping style. This is absolutely critical, you know, what you're gonna be doing. People I think look at their forty two foot fifth wheel and say, Where are we gonna go? Whereas you should decide where you're gonna go and then decide what size fifth wheel you need. Or motorhome or the impression I get from these RV TV shows that we watch when people are shopping for RVs is they come in with a fixed price and they try to see how much space, interior space, they uh -huh. can get for that uh -huh. money. Uh -huh. Living space, storage point. space. Yeah. That's not really necessarily a good strategy, is it? Not a good strategy at all. And especially when you consider that overloading a trailer is just super dangerous. And, and, and so easy to do. And with a trailer... A Travel trailer, it's especially important because the tongue weight is so critical. With a fifth wheel, it's a little bit less uh, critical because it's over the axle. But when you put all that weight behind the axle whew, and on a, on a hitch, that's a, a very dangerous situation. Whereas in our motorhome here, we have about uh, 6,000 pounds of carrying capacity. So we have tons of space and we have tons of carrying capacity. And we've had ours weighed, so we know what the tire pressure should be. And we know exactly what we can carry. And we know that we're underweight and we're under capacity. And that's one of the advantages of a motorhome, is, is that you have that, uh, that flexibility of having extra space and extra uh, weight carrying because that will kill you sometimes and it could definitely do that so with that positive note where are we going next well we're not going to talk about poop anymore i'll tell you that <laughs> i don't get to talk about no, well we not. probably won't be doing it on poop day well we're pretty much done with the national park so i think for the next three or four weeks we're going to Try to be warm and aim ourselves toward Las Vegas where we're going to leave our rig over the holidays while we go home and enjoy our friends and family 
in Illinois. We're flying home. We're flying home. Can you believe that? Leaving the rig and then flying home because we don't want to winterize it until March. It's a long long drive, too. So next month when we talk to you, we will probably be at home. Oh, my gosh, we will. So we will be in the stationary sticks and bricks in the Chicago area enjoying the much below 70 weather. Recovering from our cooking chores. Oh, Thanksgiving. That's why we go home. All right, ladies and gentlemen. You have been listening to the RV Navigator podcast for November 2017, episode 151, I believe. And we very much appreciate you listening and participating. We've had lots of emails. We've met many of you. (laughs) I just met somebody yesterday. And it's very nice of you to keep in contact with us and to send us email. And we learn from you because we are here in Bishop California because of a listener's suggestion. Thank you, Terry. Thank you. So uh, you can help us, we can help you, and we will form an RV community called the RV Navigator. So thanks very much for listening, and we will catch you in, well, this could actually happen. We will catch you in a campsite. Terry did find us in a campsite near her. In a campsite near us in the not-too-distant future. Happy travels. Mm -hmm.